ten terrible men drove their yellow chariots down a black mountain, which vomited blue and scarlet fire and shook in a spasm of destruction. In such a manner, all over the globe the forces of nature were disrupted and rebellious. Though few realised it, the earth was changing. The ten knew why, and they knew of Elric and how their knowledge linked with him. The night was pale purple, and the sun hung, a bloody globe over the mountains, for it was late summer, and the valley's cottages were burning as smoking lava smacked against the straw roofs. Separatists, in the leading chariot, saw the villagers running, a confused rabble, like ants whose hills had been scattered. He turned to the blue-armoured man behind him, and he smiled almost gaily. See them run, he said. See them run, brother. The joy of it. Such forces there are at work. It is good to have woken at this time, his brother agreed, shouting over the rumbling noise of the volcano. Then the smile left separates, and his eyes narrowed. He lashed at his twin horses with a bullhide whip, so that blood laced the flanks of the great black steeds, and they galloped even faster down the steep mountain. In the village one man saw the ten in the distance. He shrieked, voicing his fear in a warning. The fire has driven them out of the mountain. Hide. Escape. The men from the volcano have awakened. They are coming. The ten have awakened, according to the prophecy. It is the end of the world. And then the mountain gushed a fresh spewing of hot rock and flaming lava. The man was struck down, screamed as he burned and died. He died needlessly, for the ten had no interest in him or his fellows. Separates and his brothers rode straight through the village, their chariot wheels rattling on the coarse street, the hooves of their horses pounding. Behind them, the mountain bellowed. To Nechrain, cried Separates. Speedily, brethren, for there is much work to do. A blade must be brought from Limbo and a pair of men must be found to carry it to Zanyor. Joy filled him as he saw the earth shuddering about him, heard the gushing of fire and rock behind him. His black body glistened, reflecting the flames of the burning houses. The horses leaned in their harness, dragging the bucking chariot at wild speed. Their hooves blurred movement over the ground so that it often seemed they flew. Perhaps they did for the steeds of Nehrain were known to be different from ordinary beasts. Now they flung themselves along a gorge, now up a mountain path, making their speedy way towards the chasm of Nehrain, the ancient home of the ten who had not returned there for two thousand years. Again, Separates laughed. He and his brothers bore a terrible responsibility, for, though they had no loyalty to men or gods, they were fate's spokesmen, and thus bore an awful knowledge within their immortal skulls. For centuries they had slept in their mountain chamber, dwelling close to the dormant heart of the volcano, since extremes of heat and cold bothered them little. Now the spewing rock had awakened them, and they knew that their time had come, the time for which they had been waiting for millennia. This was why separates, seeing in joy, 
At last, he and his brothers were to be allowed to perform their ultimate function. This involved two Malnobonaeans, the two surviving members of the royal line of the Bright Empire. Separates knew they lived. They had to be alive, for without them fate's scheme was impossible. But there were those upon the earth that Separates knew who were capable of cheating fate. So powerful were they. Their minions lay everywhere, particularly among the new race of men, but ghouls and demons were also their tools. This made his chosen task the harder, but now to Nehrain, to the hewn city, and there to draw the threads of destiny into a finer net. There was still a little time, but it was running short, and time, the unknown, was master of all. The pavilions of Queen Yashana and her allies were grouped thickly about a series of small wooded hills. The trees afforded cover from a distance, and no campfires burned to give away their position. Also, the sounds of the great army were as muted as possible. Outriders went to and fro, reporting the enemy's positions and keeping wary eyes open for spies. But Elric and his Imrudians were unchallenged as they rode in, for the albino and his men were easily recognisable and it was well known that the feared Malnobonean mercenaries had elected to aid Yashana. Elric said to Divin Slorm, I had best pay my respects to Queen Yashana on account of our old bond, but I do not want her to know of my wife's disappearance, otherwise she may try to hinder me. We shall just say that I have come to aid her out of friendship. Divin Slorm nodded and Elric left his cousin to tend to making camp while he went at once to Yashana's tent where the tall queen awaited him impatiently. The look in her eyes was shielded as he entered. She had a heavy, sensuous face that was beginning to show signs of ageing. Her long hair was black and shone around her head. Her breasts were large and her hips broad, broader than Elric remembered. She was sitting in a padded chair, and the table before her was scattered with battle maps and writing materials, parchment, ink and quills. Good morning, Wolf, said she, with a half-smile that was at once sardonic and provocative. My scouts reported that you were riding with your countrymen. This is pleasant. Have you forsaken your new wife to return to subtler pleasures? No, he said. He stripped off his riding cloak and flung it on a bench. Good morning, Yashana. You do not change. I've half a suspicion that Thaleb Ka'ana, that sorcerer-lover of yours from Pantang, gave you a draft of the waters of eternal life before I killed him. Well, perhaps he did. How goes your marriage? Well, he said, as she moved closer and he felt the warmth of her body. And now I'm disappointed. She smiled ironically and shrugged. They had been lovers on two different occasions, in spite of the fact that Elric had been partially responsible for her brother's death during the raid on Imdir. Darmit of Jacor's death had put her on the throne, and being an ambitious woman, she had not taken the news with too much sadness. Elric had no wish to resume the relationship, however. He turned immediately to the matter of the forthcoming battle. I see you're preparing for more than a skirmish, he said. What forces have you, and what are your chances of winning? There are my own white leopards, she told him, 
500 picked warriors who run as swiftly as horses, are as strong as mountain cats, and as ferocious as blood-mad sharks. They are trained to kill, and killing is all they know. And then there are my other troops, infantry and cavalry, some 80 lords in command. The best cavalry are from Shatsar, wild riders, but clever fighters and well-disciplined. Takesh has sent fewer men since I understood King Hulran needed to defend his southern borders against a heavy attack. However, there are almost 150 foot soldiers and some 200 mounted men from Takesh. In all, we can put perhaps 6,000 trained warriors on the field. Serfs, slaves and the like are also fighting, but they will of course serve only to meet the initial onslaught and will die in the early part of the battle. Alric nodded. These were standard military tactics. And what of the enemy? Well, we have more numbers, but they have devil riders and hunting tigers. There are also some beasts they keep in cages, but we cannot guess what they are since the cages are covered. I heard that the men of Mirren are flying hither. The import must be great for them to leave their eyries. If we lose this battle, she said gravely, chaos could easily engulf the earth and rule over it. Every oracle from here to Shatsar says the same thing. That Jagreen Learn is but a tool of less natural masters. That he is aided by the lords of chaos. We are not only fighting for our lands, Alric. We are fighting for the human race. Hmm. Then let us hope we win, he said. Alric stood among the captains as they surveyed the mobilising army. Tall, Divim Slorm was by his side his golden shirt loose on his slim body, and his manner confident, arrogant. Also here were hardened soldiers of many smaller campaigns, short, dark-faced men from Tarkesh with thick armour and black-oiled hair and beards. The half-naked, winged men from Mirren had arrived, with their brooding eyes, hawk-like faces, their great wings folded on their backs, quiet, dignified, seldom speaking. The Shatsarian commanders were there also in jackets of grey, brown and black, in rust-coloured bronze armour. With them stood the captain of Yashana's white leopards, a long-legged, thick-bodied man with blonde hair tied in a knot at the back of his bull-necked head, silver armour bearing the emblazon of a leopard, albino like Elric, rampant and snarling. The time of the battle was drawing close. Now in the grey dawn the two armies advanced upon each other, coming from opposite sides of a wide valley, flanked by low wooded hills. The army of Pantang and Darajor moved, a tide of dark metal, up the shallow valley to meet them. Elric, still unarmoured, watched as they approached, his horse stamping the turf. Divim Slorm beside him pointed and said, Look, there are the plotters. Sorosto on the left, and Jagreen Lern on the right. The leaders headed their army, banners of dark silk rustling above their helms. King Sorosto and his thin ally, Aquiline, Jagreen Lern, in glowing scarlet armour, had seemed to be red-hot, and may have been. On his helm was the merman crest of Pantang, for he claimed kinship with the sea people. Sorosto's armour was dull, murky yellow, emblazoned with the star of Darajor, 
upon which was the cleft sword, which history said was borne by Sorosto's ancestor, Atan the city builder. Behind them, instantly observable, came the devil riders of Pantang on their six-legged reptilian mounts, bred by sorcery, it was said. Swarthy, and with introspective expressions on their sharp faces, they carried long, curved sabres, naked at their belts. Prowling among them came over a hundred hunting tigers, trained like dogs, with tusk-like teeth and claws that could rend a man to the bone with a single sweep. Beyond the rolling army, as it moved towards them, Elric could just see the tops of the mysterious cage wagons. What weird beasts did they contain? he wondered. Then, Yashana shouted a command. The archer's arrows spread a rattling black cloud above them as Elric led the first wave of infantry down the hill to meet the van of the enemy army. That he should be forced to risk his life embittered him. But if he was ever to discover Tsaradzinia's whereabouts, he had to play out his ordered part and pray that he lived. The main force of cavalry followed the infantry, flanking it with orders to encircle the enemy if possible. Brightly clad Imridians and bronze-armoured Shitsarians were to one side. Blue-armoured Tarkashites, with brilliant plumes of red, purple and white. Long lances levelled and gold-armoured Jacorians, longswords already unscabbarded, galloped on the other side. In the centre of Elric's advanced phalanx loped Yashana's white leopards, and the queen herself rode beneath her banner, behind the first phalanx, leading a battalion of knights. Down they rushed towards the enemy, whose own arrows rose upward, and then swept down to clash against helmets or thud into flesh. Now the sound of war shouts smashed through the still dawn as they streaked down the slopes and clashed. Elric found himself confronting lean, jaggering Lurn, and the snarling theocrat met Stormbringer's swing with a flame-red buckler, which successfully protected him, proving the shield to be treated against sorcerous weapons. Jaggering Lurn's features wrinkled into a malicious smile as he recognised Elric. I was told you'd be here, Whiteface. I know you, Elric, and I know your doom. Well, too many men appear to know my destiny better than I, said the albino. But perhaps if I slay you, Theocrat, I may force the secret from you before you die. Oh no, that is not my master's plan at all. Well, mayhap it is mine. He struck again at Jagreen Lurm, but again the blade was turned, screaming its anger. He felt it move in his hand, for Stormbringer was half-sentient. Felt it throb with chagrin for normally the hell-forged blade could slice through metal, however finely tempered. In Jagreen Lurn's gauntleted right hand was a huge war-axe, which he now swung at the unprotected head of Elric's horse. This was odd, since he was in a position to strike at Elric himself. The albino jerked his steed's head to one side, avoided the blow and drove again, point-first against Jagreen Lurn's midriff. The rune blade shrieked as it failed to pierce the armour. The war axe swung again and Elric brought up his sword as protection, but in astonishment was driven back in his saddle by the force of the blow, barely able to control his horse, one foot slipping from the stirrup. 
Jagreen learned, struck again and successfully split the skull of Elric's horse, which crumpled to its knees, blood and brains gushing, great eyes rolling as it died. Flung from the beast, Elric rose painfully and readied himself for Jagreen Lurn's next blow. But to his surprise, the Sorcerer King turned away and moved into the thick of the battle. Sadly, your life is not mine to take, Whiteface. That is the prerogative of other powers. If you live and we are the victors, I will seek you out, perhaps. Unable, in his dazed condition, to make sense of this, Elric looked desperately around for another horse, and saw a Darajorian mount, its head and foreparts well protected by a dented black armour, running loose and away from the fight. Swiftly he leapt for its harness and caught a dangling rein, steadied the beast, got a foot into a stirrup and swung around up into the saddle which was uncomfortable for an unarmoured man. Standing in the stirrups, Elric rode it back into the battle. He hewed his way through the enemy knights, slaying now a devil rider, now a hunting tiger that lashed at him with bared fangs, now a gorgeously armoured Darajorian commander, now two foot soldiers who struck at him with halberds. His horse reared like a monster, desperately he forced it closer to the standard of Yashana until he could see one of the heralds. Yashana's army was fighting bravely, but its discipline was lost. It must regroup if it was to be most effective. Recall the cavalry! Elric yelled, Recall the cavalry! The young herald looked up. He was badly pressed by two devil riders. His attention diverted. He was skewed on a devil rider's blade and shrieked as the two men butchered him. Cursing, Elric rode closer and struck at one of the attackers in the side of the head. The man toppled and fell into the churned mud of the field. The other rider turned only to meet howling Stormbringer's point, and he died yelling as the runeblade drank his soul. The herald, still mounted, was dead in the saddle, his body a mass of cuts. Elric leaned forward, tearing the bloody horn from around the corpse's neck. Placing it to his lips, he sounded the cavalry recall, and caught a glimpse of horsemen turning. Now he saw the standard itself begin to fall, and realised that the standard bearer was slain. He rose in the saddle and grasped the pole which bore the bright flag of Jacor, and with this in one hand, the horn at his lips attempted to rally his forces. Slowly, the remnants of the battered army gathered around him. Then Alric, taking control of the battle, did the only thing he could, took the sole course of action which might save the day. He sounded a long, wailing note on the horn, in response to this, he heard the beating of heavy wings as the men of Mirren rose into the air. Observing this, the enemy released the traps of the mysterious cages. Elric groaned with despair. A weird hooting preceded the sight of giant owls, thought extinct even in Mirren, the land of their origin, circling skyward. The enemy had prepared against a threat from the air and by some means had produced the age-old enemies of the men of Mirren. Only slightly daunted by this unexpected sight, the men of Mirren, armed with long spears, attacked the giant birds. The embattled warriors on the ground were showered with blood and feathers. 
Corpses of men and birds began to flop downwards, crushing infantry and cavalry beneath them. Through this confusion, Elric and the white leopards of Yashana cut their way into the enemy to join up with Divim Slorm and his Iridians, the remnants of the Tarkashite cavalry, and about a hundred Shatsarians who had survived. Looking upward, Elric saw that most of the great owls were destroyed, but only a handful of the men in Midden had survived the fight in the air. These, having done what they could against the owls, were themselves circling about, preparing to leave the battle. Obviously, they realised the hopelessness of it all. Elric cried to Divim Slorm as their forces joined. The battle's lost. Sorosto and Jagreen Lurn rule here now. Divim Slorm hefted his longsword in his hand and gave Elric a look of assent. If we're to live to keep our destiny, we'd best make speed away from here, he cried. There was little more they could do. Saracenia's life is more important to me than anything else, Elric yelled. Let's look to our own predicament. But the weight of the enemy forces was like a vice, crushing Elric and his men. Blood covered Elric's face from a blow he had received on the forehead. It clogged his eyes so that he had to keep raising his left arm to his face to get rid of the stuff. His right arm ached as he lifted Stormbringer again and again, hacking and stabbing about him. Desperate now, for although the dreadful blade had a life, almost an intelligence of its own, even it could not supply the vitality which Elric needed to remain entirely fresh. In a way he was glad, for he hated the rune sword, though he had to depend on the force which flowed from it. His particular form of albinoism would normally leave him apathetic and enervated. Stormbringer radiated an evil poison which more than slew Elric's attackers. It drank their souls and some of that life force was passed on to the Malnabonean monarch. Now the ranks of the enemy fell back and seemed to open. Through this self-made breach animals came running. Animals with gleaming eyes of red and fang-filled jaws. Animals with claws. The hunting tigers of Pantang. Horses screamed as the tigers leapt and rendered them, tearing down mount and man and slashing at the throats of their victims. The tigers raised bloody snouts and stared around for new prey. Terrified, many of Auric's small force fell back shouting. Most of the Tarkashite knights broke and fled the field, precipitating the flight of the Jacorians, whose maddened horses bore them away and were soon followed by the few remaining Shitsarians still mounted. Soon only Elric, his Amridians, and about forty white leopards stood against the might of Darajor and Pantang. Elric raised his horn and sounded the retreat, wheeled his black steed about and raced up the valley. Amridians behind him. But the white leopards fought on to the last. Yashana had said that they knew nothing but how to kill. Evidently they also knew how to die. Elric and Divim Slorm led the Amridians up the valley, half thankful that the White Leopards covered their retreat. The Malnabonean had seen nothing of Yashana since he had clashed with Jagreen Lurn. Wondered what had become of her. As they turned a bend in the valley, Elric understood the full battle plan of Jagreen Lurn and his ally, for a strong, fresh force of foot soldiers and cavalry had assembled at the other end of the valley for the purpose of cutting off any retreat made by his army. Scarcely thinking, Elric urged his horse up the slopes of the hills, his men following, 
ducking beneath the low branches of the birch trees as the Darajorians rushed towards them, spreading out to cut off their escape. Alric turned his horse about and saw that the white leopards were still fighting around the standard of Jacor, and he headed back in that direction, keeping to the hills. Over the crest of the hills he rode, Divim Slorm and a handful of Amrillians but with him. And then they were galloping for open countryside, while the knights of Darajor and Pantang gave chase. They had obviously recognised Alric and wished either to kill or to capture him. Ahead, Elric could see the Tarkashites, Shatsarians, and Jakorians who had earlier fled had taken the same route out as he had, but they no longer rode together, were scattering away. Elric and Divim Slorm fled westwards across unknown country, while the other Amurians, to take attention off their leaders, rode to the northeast towards Tarkesh, and perhaps a few days of safety. The battle was won. The minions of evil were the victors, and an age of terror had settled on the lands of the young kingdoms in the west. Some days later, Elric, Divim Slorm, two Imridians, a Tarkashite commander called Yedin Pad Uezev, badly wounded in the side, and a Shatsarian foot soldier, Orlon, who had taken a horse away from the battle, were temporarily safe from pursuit, and were trudging their horses wearily towards a range of slim-peaked mountains which loomed black against the red evening sky. They had not spoken for some hours. Yedin Pud Zuezev was obviously dying, and they could do nothing for him. He knew this also and expected nothing, merely rode with them for company. He was very tall for a Tarkashite, his scarlet plume still bobbing on his dented blue metal helmet, his breastplate scarred and smeared with his own blood and others. His beard was black and shiny with oil, his nose a jutting crag on the rock of a soldier's face, his eyes half-glazed. He was bearing the pain well. Though they were impatient to reach the comparative safety of the mountain range, the others matched their pace to his, half in respect and half in fascination that a man could cling to life for so long. Night came, and a great yellow moon hung in the sky over the mountains. The sky was completely clear of cloud, and stars shone brightly. The warriors wished that the night had been dark, storm-covered, for then they could have sought more security in the shadows. As it was, the night was lighted, and they could only hope that they reached the mountains soon, before the hunting tigers of Pantang discovered their tracks, and they died under the rending claws of those dreadful beasts. Auric was in a grim and thoughtful mood. For a while, the Darajorian and Pantang conquerors would be busy consolidating their new one empire. Perhaps there would be quarrels between them when this was done. Perhaps not. But soon, anyway, they would be very powerful and threatening the security of other nations on the southern and eastern continents. But all this, however much it overshadowed the fate of the whole world, meant little to Elric, for he still could not clearly see his way to Tsaritsinia. He remembered the dead creature's prophecy, part of which had now come about, but still it meant little. He felt as if he were being driven constantly westwards, 
as if he must go further and further into a sparsely settled land beyond Jacor. Was it here his destiny lay? Was it here that Saracenia's captors were? Beyond the ocean bruise a battle, beyond the battle blood shall fall. Well, had the blood fallen, or was it yet to fall? What was the twin that Ulrich's kinsman Divim Slorm bore? Who was the one who should not live? Perhaps the secret lay in the mountains ahead of them. Beneath the moon they rode, and at last came to a gorge. Halfway along it they located a cave and lay down inside to rest. In the morning Elric was awakened by a sound outside the cave. Instantly he drew Stormbringer and crept to the mouth of the cave. What he saw caused him to sheathe the blade and call in a soft voice to the battered man who was riding up the gorge towards the cave. Here, Herald, we are friends. The man was one of Yashana's heralds. His surcoat was in ribbons. His armour crumpled on his body. He was swordless and without a helmet. A young man with his face made gaunt by weariness and despair. He looked up and relief came when he recognised Elric. My lord Elric, they said you were slain on the field. Well, I'm glad they did, since that makes pursuit less likely. Come inside. The others were awake now. All but one. Yedin Pad Uitsev had died sleeping in the night. Orotsin yawned and jerked a thumb at the corpse. If we do not find food soon, I'll be tempted to eat our dead friend. The man looked at Alric for a response to this jest, but seeing the albino's expression, he was abashed and retreated to the depths of the cave, grumbling and kicking at loose stones. Alric leant against a wall of the cave near the opening. What news have you? Dark news, my lord. From Shitsar to Tarkesh, black misery prevails, and iron and fire beat across nations like an unholy storm. We are fully conquered. Only small bands of men carry on a hopeless struggle against the enemy. Some of our folk are already talking of turning bandit and preying on each other so desperate have times become. Alric nodded. Such is what happens when foreign allies are beaten on friendly soil. And what of Queen Yashana? She fared ill, my lord. Clad in metal, she battled against a score of men before expiring, her body torn asunder by the force of their attack. Sorosto took her head for a keepsake, and added it to other trophies, including the heads of Karanal, his half-brother who imposed him, over the Pantang alliance. The eyes of Pennock of Nargesa, who raised an army against him in that province. Theocrat Jagreen Lern ordered that all other prisoners be tortured to death and hanged in chains through the lands as warning throughout against insurrection. They're an unholy pair, my lord. Auric's mouth grew tight as he heard this. Already it was becoming clear to him that his only route was westwards, for the conquerors would soon search for him if he went back. He turned to Divim Slorm. The Amridian's shirt was in rags and his left arm covered in dried blood. Our destiny appears to lie in the west, he said quietly. 
Well, then let us make speed, said the cousin, for I am impatient to get it over and at least learn whether we live or perish in this enterprise. We gained nothing by our encounter with the enemy, but wasted time. I gained something, Alric said, remembering his fight with Jagreen Lune. I gained the knowledge that Jagreen Lune is connected in some way with the kidnapping of my wife. And if he had aught to do with it, I'll claim my vengeance no matter what. Now, said Divim Slorm, let us make haste to the west.' 